Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector, a podcast about speedy motorbikes. On today's episode, we're going to break down the Mizano GP. With me tonight is Bunno GP. Josh is taking the night off. Uh, so, yeah. You say taking the night off. He's, he is working. He's not just sacked yeah. off for no reason. Yeah. But you can, He's not out partying or, you know. Feel free to fire him some abuse on Twitter if you really want to, which, you know, I'm sure Alex yeah. Rins would happily let you do. Um, yeah, we are ironically, like I said, running two legged tonight. It's just me and you, Matt. So, yeah, yeah. Thoughts on Mazzano? General thoughts? <laughs> how how are you feeling? How are you feeling in general of the outcome of like Mazzano, but going into like the last few races? Like, what is your general vibe of how are you sitting on the fence? I mean. <clears throat> It was a good race. I'll start. I'll start off by saying that. Um, but it, it was like one of those races. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, we we saw Peko get a second win, but at the same time, it's still like this championship's pretty much over. Don't say that. You can't <laughs> say that to me. Of all people, you can't say it's all over. You genuinely can't though, because like in GP, no. Uh, like, over the amount of years, it is very much a sport where you know it's it's not like other sports like F1 where let's say, you know, if Hamilton was in this position with this amount of races to go, you would be saying barring a miracle, he will win the championship because even if he crashes out, mm-hmm. Mercedes have this thing of, well, we can use Bottas as like almost like a, a nullifier for the point. That doesn't really, that doesn't exist, so to speak, in GP. And not only that, crashing is much more of an element in GP than it is in F1. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's I. I'm in that position where, if I was on the other side and I was a Peko fan, I would be sitting here saying, "Yeah, it's um, it's pretty much written now. Like it, he's going to have to do a miracle." Mm-hmm. But because because I'm on the Fabio side, I'm like, "Oh God forbid if it rains in Texas or if it, you know, he crashes and it's yeah. all going to go wrong and it's." You know, it's all right being on the other side of the fence, but when you're on this side of the fence, it's it's very much like damage limitation, damage limitation, because Fabio at the start of the weekend rode very tense. Like when it was raining in FP2, mm-hmm. you could see yep. that it was very much a case of let's like analyze the feeling and go from there. It wasn't let's push, see how quick we are in the wet. So that if it rains, mm-hmm. we know our maximum potential. It was like get through the session and go from there. Because when you're in that position and you get thrown, you know, a wet track at Mizano, years gone by, I think it was twenty I want to say eighteen, I think it was, and there was an insane amount of crashes that weekend because it rained at Mizano. And it's very much a track where there's a lot of potential for the front end to just wash out especially like turn mm-hmm. 15 where you've gone through a sections of rights, 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 and then you flick back onto the left. And we've seen it time and time again, Rossi in qualifying, I think a Spargo in qualifying and numerous others through the weekend where you flick back onto that left-hander at the penultimate corner. Um, the, the front end will just wash out. So when it rains, there's a lot of heartbreaking going on where the front end can just bang wash you out and you, you do not want that leading a championship you don't want to crash and see Pecco and everybody else flying at the front in the wet 
so that Pecco gets that extra motivation of, well, not only am I quicker than him, but he's crashing in the wet. So you know that he's not got that confidence. Um, so again, going into Austin, it's very much a case of, do you tell Fabio to kind of ride like it's normal, you know, almost do what you want? Or do you say, look where Pecco is and go from there? Because when you start doing that, you compare everything, absolutely everything to Pecco. You start looking at, you know, what's my data looking like when I'm, you know, hitting the rear brake, going into that like back straight. And w- when's he hitting the rear brake? And when am I hitting the rear brake to, to slow the bike down? And I know it's different bikes and everything, but you're looking at everything. You start comparing absolutely anything to gain that advantage over the person that is basically your only challenger, I think, now. I don't think anybody really views Mir as in the, the in the battle, so to speak. He is mathematically, but I don't know about you, Matt, but I very much now I'm looking at it, Pecco and Fabio. I don't see Mir because of his result at Lozano. Oh, no. I don't see him as, you know, he, it's like 2020 where he's just going to keep ticking away the results. Like, it could happen, but I can't see it happening now. I see it as a two-horse race. Um, and other people see it as very much a one-horse race. But um, Pecco in the form that he's in, you can't really say it's a one-horse race because Pecco at the minute is literally untouchable. We have seen this. If you've tried touching him, Mark, you know, beats him. Fabio, because of Miller, couldn't touch him. And if Miller would have not been there, maybe he would have laid a glove on him or whatever, but it was kind of, you know, too much too late. Um, But a very interesting situation now that we're in. And I don't like it. I do not like it <laughs> at all. I would rather be a KTM fan, Matt, where you can just sit and be happy in sixth place with Binder. I mean, we'll get into that because I have <laughs> feelings. Um, but yeah, so there really wasn't any big news that broke in the week leading up to Mizano. Um you know, pre- pretty much every like the whole silly season stuff has settled down for the time being. Um, you say so, that. yeah. You say that, but <laughs> Moto Two this weekend was like it was like a sort of every kid at school's got a blindfold on, and just you've got to just pick which one you think is yours and take it home. It was like that sort of situation where yeah. he was like this guy's going to this team and because that guy's going to that team this guy's dropped out this guy's going to world super sport and this guy's going to world super bikes and this guy is all over the place with moto too but gp there wasn't really much was there other than dovi coming back Mm-mm. i suppose yeah that was only the real big thing was that dovi this was dovi's first week back um you know how would he fare um they even had him in the press conference um but yeah i mean Great to see him back, though, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would have been my first choice, but it is good to see people like Dovi back because he's a good character to have. And, you know, you kind of want those veterans. in. Yeah, it's good to have all these young kids coming through, but at the same time, it is nice to see that older generation still um, wanting to come back because he did say that, you know, Mm -hmm. he kind of evaluated himself and thought about retiring, but... The fact that he wants to come back. Let's see next year when he gets an upgraded package from Yamaha. Let's see if he, you know, can maybe fight for a podium here and there and whatnot. I don't think he will, but he might. You never know. But I think it's good that Dom is back. I've, in, I've enjoyed seeing his face again. I think he's a great 
face I have in the pattern. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, like you said, it's, it. I would rather see, like, up-and-comers coming, but it's still nice to have those, you know, veterans. It's just, you know, hopefully he, you know, knows when to, you know, call it quits and isn't just, like, keep going, you know. Yeah. St you know, stuff like that. But, I mean, that's years down the road. I mean, he's here for, I think he's... What he's for the rest of this season and next season. And yeah, he's on like a a one and a half, a year and a half. Yeah, which is good because he gets the rest of this year to kind of lead his form into next year, mm -hmm. rather than kind of be dropped in the deep end at testing and be like, right, what am I dealing with? Well, and that was another thing. Um, they were talking about like usually with like MotoGP riders, whenever they stop, they still like race street bikes or stuff like that like he stopped completely and went full into motocross yeah he's not really i mean other than obviously the odd aprilia bit here and there um in terms of mm -hmm. actual racing he's not done anything he's kind of just been like you say motocrossing a lot of the time they're like you see yeah a fair few gp riders that have been to like motocross um training parks Flat and, stuff like that and and have bumped into him because that's literally the only time you see him in the last six mm -hmm. or seven months other than Aprilia. So I think Dovi will be happy with it in a way because we looked about six months ago before we even, you know, I'm, I'm not saying us necessarily, but like as a community, we looked at the, the situation and thought, well, the only way in for Dovi is Aprilia because we were like, we don't know the Rossi situation and Morbidelli, Vignales and all that situation wasn't even... You know, Yamaha wasn't even in the question. It wasn't even like if Rossi retires, then it will be Dovi. You know, we we didn't even think of that, mm -hmm. um, especially because of his links with Aprilia. We thought that that might be the second seat. And as year as the year went on, it was more like, oh, he's tested with them. He might be going to Aprilia, and then Vinales happened, and this huge domino effect happened, where Morbidelli's yeah. going. Lynn Jarvis, I want to ride. <laughs> and then it's going, <laughs> Patronus, we don't have anybody. Um, so if I'm Dovi, I don't know. I think it's like six and two threes in the, I think the Aprilia is coming on. It's quite, like it's definitely coming on form a little bit. But would you rather be on that Aprilia or the Yamaha? I think when he gets to next year, he'll be more grateful for having Yamaha because he's got very good corner speed and is actually a really smooth rider. But it's like at the minute he's on an old Yamaha, which is not great. Um, but yeah, the Aprilia is coming on, so you kind of question whether he'd prefer either or. Considering he has rode a V4 and Ducati for so long, the Aprilia maybe suits him more. Mm -hmm. But I suppose Patronus are probably going to be paying him quite a bit, I can imagine, as opposed to Aprilia. So I imagine that had something to do with it. Well, and then you figure the uh, them losing. The Patron, well, SRT. Oh, there's a piece of news. SRT losing the Patronus um, sponsorship. They're going to go with the With You sponsorship. And next year, the team is what is it? RNF. RNF with you. RNF. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the RNF thing came out of nowhere, um, which it, the big thing is nobody knows what it means. Uh, 
There was apparently people are alluding to saying it means Razlan needs funds. Need funds. That's my favorite. Um, but apparently this was something where it's I think it's Roslan's kids' names or something like that. Um really? All right. That's one of the things I heard. Uh apparently this came out of nowhere, like a copyright for the team name was posted like September 4th or something like this popped up out of no, like at random. Hmm. So yeah, that was, I think that was like, other than Dobby come back, that was like the only piece of news was that, you know, they figured out a team name since it won't be Sepang racing team anymore. Yeah. They had to come up with something else. So, but yeah, everyone was good. Uh, there were a bunch of, uh, you know, MotoGP personalities posting about it and, you know, asking, you know, what do you, you know, wrong answers only for what RNF means. And the needs funds one was one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, good. But uh, considering the losing Petronas thing, so it's like, oh, they're not going to have funds. So it's like oh, yeah. a secret message of, I need funding. <laughs> <laughs> Please send me money. <laughs> But uh, moving into the racing, uh, we're going to talk Moto E today, mainly because Oof. it was the last two races of the season. Oof. They crowned their champion in a oh, spectacular fashion. I was posting about this race as it happened. Um, when so I was watching race this race, one, Matt, and I... I can't lie. I can't lie. Sorry to butt in, but I can't, I can't no, help but think when I was watching this race, as said things happen, I'm going to let you explain it. I just thought I cannot wait to have Matt Dunn back on just to get his like feelings oh, of yeah. when you're on the mic when this happens. So I'll let Matt explain for anybody that may not know what happened. But it was like, I, yeah, it, it was so many things going on at once that the Moe kind of season went from, you know, well, you know, there's, there's bits and bobs going up. Whoa, what just happened? Like, Everything hit the fan in the third to last corner or wherever it was. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, take it away and explain what happened. Yeah, so I did not know there was two Moto E races this weekend. Um, race two took place Sunday morning or well, Sunday afternoon, wherever you're watching after the Moto GP race. Uh, it was nice because there was about a half hour break between them where I could actually hop on and watch race one to see what happened leading into race two. And even the end of race one had a crazy ending. Uh, it basically came down to last, you know, uh, final corner. Jordy Torres goes up the inside, makes the move, gets the win, which helped move him up to the top position in the leaderboard. Uh, the podium for race one was Jordi Torres, uh, Dominique Agurter, and Matea Cassetti. <coughs> Got that? I love having the American I, pronounce all the names. Yeah, <laughs> I had to. I was looking at it as I'm reading. It, I'm like, I know how to say this. But uh, race two was where it went insane because it all came down to the last lap. Uh, a Gerder and Torres have been battling whole race. 
it, they're the ones battling for the championship. It's well, I mean, Jordy all did gonna be... have a bit of a gap, didn't he? He had a little bit of a gap to start at off. At one point... It was like, you know, it was it was a case of, well, Agatha's got to throw the kitchen sink at it, and boy, did he throw that sink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, so, the what was it? Like the third to last corner. It's, you know, coming around Mizano, everybody, you know, if you picture Mizano... There's the long back straight with like the right kinks in there. And then it was like right at that right hairpin. <laughs> a girder just goes up the inside on a move that was never going to stick. It was like never Rossi Gibernau, Lorenzo Marquez and Crivier Dewan times 10. Like for the Jerez <laughs> final court. It was just it was just that's what I thought. As soon as I saw him coming, I was like. You've either got to block pass him or back out because if you don't block pass him, you're taking him out. And yeah, yeah, that's that's what he did because you could see the angle that Agatha was coming at is a normal move to make, but because he was coming from so far back and it was such a lunge on those bikes that he's he, he, sorry his um, his rear tire was so far out he was using every mm-hmm. bit of brake to stop it that. It was basically just using Jordi Torres as a, a barrier. Is pretty much what he did. Pretty much, and like Jordi Torres goes down. It lo- it didn't look bad, but it was kind of like because his arm actually like hit the back tire of Agatha's bike as like they as he went down. Agatha is able to just cruise because I don't I can't find the gap, but. He had a they had a sizable gap back to Ferrari, who you know got the win. And he comes across the line, but like he's not celebrating. He's not, you know, doing anything crazy. He does a burnout, but it's the last race of the season. It was one everybody's of those where, showing like, off. Yeah, it was like, I'll celebrate, but I'll celebrate as if like, like, I, I feel like I've won it, but at the same time, you knew. When it came up with under investigation, you knew for a fact that if he turns around to not be champion, he's gonna look such an idiot. Like, and that's not being harsh, but you're bound to look mm-hmm. a bit stupid in that sense of celebrating too soon. And he comes into oh yeah, I mean if he's and he he's like revving the fucking like the the bike and whatnot, even though it's electric. He did a burnout <laughs> in front of the uh, yeah, like in front of everybody, and jumps into his team and celebrating and whatnot, like giving it the whole. <gasps> Hey, hey, hey. And you're like, oh no. Which, which is weird because, like, usually, like, when, like, when Mir won last season at Valencia, you know, th- there are people running out on the track. He's stopping every corner, you know, doing all this stuff. Like, if he had won, if he knew in his heart, like, in his head, he's like, I've won this. I have won the championship he's going to be having people like stewards run out and or marshals run out and celebrate with him he's going to be doing burnouts wheelies you know stopping jumping on tire barriers you know showing off to the fans all that stuff and it was just like he did one burnout so you you have to think like he knew something was up yeah yeah and he did then he gets and then he gets into park ferme and or and you know and he starts you know, jumping around with the team and everything, and you're like, it, this seems a little controlled for a championship win. Mm. So, 
again, I have to feel like he knew like something might come of this. I may not have this. And sure enough, it goes under investigation. And Matt Dunn and Neil Morris were the ones commentating. They don't know what's going on. Everybody's just sort of waiting. Torres makes it back to the pits. He is demolished, just bawling his eyes out in his As helmet. You would be. As you would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you fought, I mean, he was going for a defending champion. You know, you fought this hard. He had the win. I mean, no yeah, matter what no, championship it is, if you go through all that year of doing whatever mm -hmm. and you get taken out on the last lap for the championship, you're going to be good. And not only that, the... Oh, yeah. I mean, not that we normally... We don't cover motorway too, like, extensively on this show, but my rider of the day is um, his teammate, Jasper... Uh, is, is it pronounced Iwema or Iwema? I, I don't exactly know the pronunciation, and I'm not going to ask you uh, because that that might be a bad idea. Oh God, ja I don't know if it's. We'll Iwema. just call him Jasper. Jasper, is it? Yeah, Jasper is the Jasper. same. I don't. I've not. Yeah, let's just go with Jasper. He actually waited for Jordy to get out of the gravel and uh, get the bike mm -hmm. going and move it forward, just for the sake of him maybe gaining another point that might have got in the championship. And I just thought, right, you've gone through all that year as Jasper has, not challenging for this title. You could have happily just been like, well, he's my teammate. You know, I'm, I'm not his, you know, I'm not, I'm not his team manager, so to speak. Sort of sort yourself out, but I don't know. It was really nice to see actually, and he waited for him. But on the flip yeah. side of all of this, Jordi Torres walks down pit lane with helmet in hand, bawling his eyes out like Matt said, and then they just Annette. kind of announce it. They don't really like exclusively go up to Jordi and be like. Yeah, you've won, but no. just keep it to yourself a little bit. Like, or you've won, get yourself to park for me, then celebrate. You just heard, like, uh, you heard Cito Pons, the team manager, just go, champion. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> everyone was like, what's going on? And then yeah, they looked at the so screen. It was so weird. They found out through the screen, not even through, like, the studios yeah. or anything. Like, it, like Matt Dunn and Neil Morris were, like, you know, going back and forth. And whenever it finally got announced, so what happened was, Agatar got a what is like a 33 second penalty 36 I think he got was it okay Thir well, he's... it was 38 because he finished 37.8 seconds um, yeah behind the race winner but actually if you take 38 seconds off of that it's two tenths quicker because he finished just in front of Matteo Ferrari so 38 second penalty because people were freaking okay. out it was considered a drive-through is... Yeah, that is literally as if, like, if you miss your long lap penalty, and because it's on, you get given it on, like, the last lap, they will just add three seconds mm -hmm. on or five seconds on or whatever. Like, it's not unheard of. Like, they, this this rule exists in 99.99999% of motorsport that if you have a penalty and don't serve it because it's the last lap, they will add a time penalty mm -hmm. on. That's just That just happens. And people were like... Why 38 seconds? It makes no sense. And it's like, it does make sense because the regulations are in place before the race even started. They've not just gone, right? Eh, we'll guess at 38. Like, just at 38 what, seconds. They, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, and what they basically chalked it up as is when, like, what happens when most of the people get a penalty in MotoGP, if, if it's bad enough, they have to do a ride through. So ride through the pits. Riding through the pits would add about 38 seconds because it varies track to track depending on pit length and stuff like that. 
you know, a long lap is going to give you like an extra three, four, five seconds. So it, yeah. it, the penalty makes sense. And, you know, it does fit the crime. He basically, you know, wiped his competitor out to try to win the race. Did he do it maliciously or intentionally? No, probably not, but he still did it. Yeah. So it, yeah, but like when it came down, like, Matt Dunn was freaking out. He's like, somebody go tell Jordy. Somebody go tell Jordy. Yeah. And like, he's just st- like, like the camera crew is over there already in his face and everyone's trying to console him. And then, like you said, you hear champion champion. And like yeah. every, like the guy standing next to him, I don't know who it was just starts like looking around, like, what are you talking about? And they had to look across the track to a TV screen Mm-hmm. To realize that they had won the championship, and then at that point, Torres just lost it. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was really weird just sitting there watching it because it's so weird. You just didn't really know where it was going to come from. But all in all, I think the right decision. I respect the fact mm-hmm. that if you're Agatha, I would do. If I was Agatha, I would do the same. A million times out of a million, I would always throw the kitchen sink at it. Oh, you got to make for them. You got to go for the move. Yeah, but it's just the the move itself. If he would have just kind of sat him up, fair enough. Or if he would have, if he would have made him crash, but it wasn't a full barge into him, maybe he'd have got away with it. But he literally like used right. him to stop. So it's like you know, yeah, you can't really argue against it too much. But well, like I say. Um, it made for a great ending to a championship that I think needs that. I think the Moto E has been needing mm-hmm. something like this for it to open a few eyeballs to be like, you know, this this championship does have some kind of ability and some promise, which I have kind of said for a while that you, you do need to give it time. You know, you need to let these guys mm-hmm. get to grips with these bikes and whatnot so that they can make moves like that. In the first season Moto E, the first race, it was like treading on eggshells. Like nobody wanted to do anything, but now we have a case of a championship that went down to the wire and maybe a little bit of a rivalry there. I don't know if they've renewed for next year to go in the same teams, but Jordi Torres and Dominique Agata are both really, really what seem to be decent guys. So I don't think they'll have a grudge, but you know when that helmet's on that if they come up against one another, the elbows are going to be out. You know that for oh, a fact. Oh, yeah, they're not going to forget. But yeah, um, I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed Motui, I've got to say. Some people actually, like Scott Ogden, said that it was his favorite race of the weekend. I don't know if that would be an ironic or, you know, sarcastic, but you'd be more than, you know, fair in saying that. Oh, yeah. with I mean, the the action with, the you know, uh, Taurus and Agatha battling, the drama at the end there. I mean, it, it was just a perfect recipe. And I know I heard next year they're actually talking about for Moto E of weekends that there will be two races a weekend. Mm. Like they're talking about adding another race each Moto E weekend to try to make it more, you know, to try to get more racing, make it more compelling, stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was Moto E moving on to Moto three. Uh, I I don't know how I feel about this race. I mean, you have Dennis Fanati. I've got oh, that, yeah, very bittersweet. I mean, because you got Foggia winning with Antonelli and Mino in third. Um, 
but yeah, uh, Romana Fanati was dominating this race, was seconds ahead. You know, all he had to do was basically like, you know, damage, damage limitation. And he screwed it all away. He just had to kind of sit where he was. He didn't have to push or anything like that. He could have let the pack, Mm -hmm. you know, catch up with him if he really wanted to, which is a bit criminal. But if it meant not pushing, then yeah. But he he threw his championship away, didn't he? Really? Oh, yeah. for not he had any chance of getting back in uh, the championship hunt, he definitely threw it away. And I think you could tell on the face of Max Biaggi and the rest of the crew that that was very much the case. I think everyone kind of knew when he went down, it wasn't like, a, oh, you know, like we've we've crashed that first place. You could see five minutes after it was still like, that's it. Like, we've, we've not got a chance now. Even though you've got Acosta and Garcia mainly a cost of damage limitation, damage limitation, not really winning. The points deficit that Fanati had, he needed to be winning in order to catch up. So he's thrown that away. And I think he mathematically can still win it, but I, yeah, he, he's out for me. Who, Fanati? Yeah, I don't know if he mathematically can or uh, not. He, I'm not sure. He's got 134 points in the championship. Pedro Acosta is on 210 now. So he can mathematically win it. I mean, if if Acosta, Fadia, and Garcia crash out of every race and Fanati wins. Listen, right. <laughs> I'm not saying it'll happen, but if it's any class that can happen, it's Moto3. Yeah. Like, if you watch seasons such as Moto 2013 or 2015 in Moto3, 2013, Louis Salam, God bless his soul, was halfway two-thirds into the season not dominating but pretty much like everyone going yeah he's got it won like he, there's no way that anyone is catching him it was between him Rins and uh, Maverick Vinales Maverick Vinales won the least amount of races out of the three of them and it came into three races to go Rins ran wide at the last corner of Mategi, I think it was and ran into like the outer circuit. Louis Salom ironically got taken out by Maverick Vinales' cousin, Isaac Vinales. They went into Valencia, and whoever finished in front in any position out of all three of them won the championship. Louis Salom crashed out again, instantly cancelling himself out for the championship, and it went down to the last corner of the last race in the whole championship, and Maverick Vinales beat Alex Rins with the least amount of wins out of every th- all, all three of them. So Moto three, it is doable. I'm not saying Fanati will. I think it's in, in the case of like Acosta, I think he's a bit above the rest. Do, do you know what I mean? Him and Garcia, maybe Fodge in that same bracket. But listen, in this sport, the more years you watch this, man, I'm telling you now, you will start to doubt the fact that there are probabilities that are <laughs> kind of out of depth. They become very much in depth very, very quickly. Oh, and like. Acosta, if he finished seventh, like, he, I don't know, because he was so, like, dominant at the beginning of the season. And it's not that he's dropped off, because the only race he really dropped off was at Aragon. It's just, like, he's, he's not... He's riding safe, like, isn't he? That's that's what he's yeah. doing. He, he's, he's, he's not wanting he's to He's not getting these dominant wins anymore. Points. 
Yeah, you, you know, he, yeah, he, at the end of the day, the kid is 17 years old leading a world championship. So, you know, right. I think he, he definitely is normal to have that sort of, uh, I don't really want to push for a win, you know, when he when he probably has the pace for, but with everybody getting taken out. So, um, yeah, I think it's normal, but it, I think the only person for me that really can challenge him is Foggia, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Foggia has more of a... Um, a chance just in just in terms of the form that he's on Foggia obviously having won the last two races and Garcia for the last few races like Aragon Mazzano and Silverstone Garcia is in this position where Acosta has been aiming for him to keep him out of the way and whilst he's done that Foggia has gone away and got three podiums in a row so like mm-hmm. if you spend too much time focusing on you know the other people there's going to be other competitors that are just going to like chip away and chip away and chip away like Foggia. And now Foggia's on, you know, in actually a better championship position than Garcia because he's got more wins because Acosta hasn't been challenging him for the wins. So now if it comes down to points at the end of the season, Foggia's going to be in a very good position because he's picked up two wins and a podium in the last three. Well, three podiums, if you like, because it includes the wins. But in, in terms of wins, what is he on now? Like four wins this season, three wins? Acosta probably has three wins, four wins. So, uh, you know, poor. on the form that he's on at the minute, Foggia, you wouldn't put it past him winning another race or two in the next four races, is my point. Right. It's just pulling up Acosta's stats. Uh, he has five Moto3 victories so far. This season. It just says five Moto three victories. So yeah, I mean, being that this then. is his first season, I would. Oh, Acosta! I thought you meant Foggia. Acosta. Sorry. No, so Foggia. I'm pulling up right now. Uh, Foggia has five Moto three wins, also. Okay, so Foggia will be on four then, because I think Foggia won his first Moto three race. At yeah, he Bruno has last year, I believe it was. Yes, he Foggia has four wins uh, this season. And then one yeah. last season. So where did he win this year? Let me think. He won at Mugello, Mizano, Aragon, and I can tell you win? in a say so Jerez? Um no. Mugello, no. uh Asin, Aragon. That's it. And then yeah. Asin, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and then Mazzano. Yeah, so... but like I say, with with the former that he's on at the minute, Foggia, um, would you would you put it past him in getting another win before the end of the year? I wouldn't. I, I would say that he's got very maybe good it, winning. Ooh. I mean, I know Moto three is hard to predict, but when you're on form like that, look at Acosta at the start of the season. Podium win, like podium. What did he go? Podium win, win, win again. Podium win. I think he had like when you're on that kind of form in Moto three you are lethal in this kind of time where you're crunching down on somebody and they're not really picking up points and you're winning. So Foggia can get another win. They're level on wins and he's putting maximum points on Acosta. I don't think it will go down to Valencia, but I wouldn't be surprised. I really, really wouldn't be surprised at all. Well, and then you got to look at the next, you know, four tracks, you know, where's it going to come? Coda. Back to Mazzano. So you could say Mazzano, but, you know, is 
you know, Romano Fanati going to, you know, not completely bend it that time to give him, basically gift him a win. Then you go back to Portimao and then Valencia. Yeah. So, I mean, being looking at tracks like Aragon, uh, like Mazzano that he's won at, maybe when they go back to Mazzano, maybe, I don't, I don't know about a Portimao. But again, imagine having the confidence that Foggy is on at the minute, knowing you're going back to Mazzano. Oh, yeah. Because you know if I mean, Fanati I... doesn't get in the way, you've got a good chance of... Mm-hmm. Well, e- either way, you've got podium pace. Like every... It's not going to be the same race weekend, don't get me wrong. But right. you will also know as Foggia that Acosta's not got a lot of pace going around Mazzano. Like He's got pace, but it's confidence he doesn't have at the minute. So you kind of have to look at Foggia as though to say, look, you have got to throw the kitchen sink at this to win this title. And at the minute, with the form he's in, throwing the kitchen sink at it is proving pretty good. Like, he's in great form, constant podiums. You know, in races, he just looks confident. He looks, you know, anybody bites at him, he bites back. It's that Acosta at the start of the year kind of form. So what I'm saying is, you have this Acosta form at the start of the year with no Foggia, and now you have this Foggia form with not really much of an Acosta, and that's going to whittle down to the last race of the season, maybe. So if it does... We could be in for an absolute thriller. But there is a lot of points to whittle down still for Foggia. But having said that, at the end of the day, Matt, rider of the day. And I will just point out, because we don't have Josh here today, Josh has been a very, very sneaky man and picked all of the (laughs) obvious picks for rider of the day, which is a good thing in a way because then it makes it obvious for what we want to justify and why he may have picked them. Um Whereas if you pick somebody really niche, like if you gave us no context to Yuki Kuni at Silverstone, we would be like, if I had not have gone, we would be like, <laughs> why on earth have you picked Yuki Kuni? Well, what the uh, hell is wrong with him? But um, yeah, Josh has gone for Darren Binder. Um, any reason as to why you think he might have gone for Darren Binder? I mean, it's the sixth place. It's it's all right. I, I wouldn't really say it's a where standout did... thing. You know, I wouldn't. Where did he start? I'm not entirely sure. My rider Let of me, the day. I'll pull up the grid. Um, my rider of the day is going to be. I'm going to go with Antonelli. So, so Darren Bender started 14th. Okay. I mean, it's not so like. So 14th to 6th. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's it's great, but it's not it's not blowing your your socks off, is it? Um, but right. Still, I mean, you're going with right. Antonelli. I'm going to Antonelli, yeah, because he's on a very, I would say, uncompetitive bike. I think it's one of the least competitive bikes on the grid. Um, and again, another guy who's on. He, he's looked good. Antonelli has looked good. He looked good at Silverstone, chasing down Fanati. Like, he was the best of the rest. I mean, I know he finished second, that's stating the obvious, but, you know, we didn't really know that going into the race at Silverstone, and he stood out from everybody as, like, the main competitor to Fanati. Um, and going into Mizano, I didn't really think, you know, I thought, obviously, play, uh, riding at home might be beneficial, it might be non-beneficial, look at Fanati. But in the same respect, second place again, solid. I think he's been really, really consistent, and half a second behind Foggia, in retrospect, is a 
is a great result. So that's my pick. Uh, for my pick, I'm going to take Andrea Mino. Uh, the, the, the yeah. god or whatever it is that um, they keep holding the picture up of. So if you look at my main thing that like like made this stick out, where did his teammate finish? 23rd yeah. yeah alberta I mean, sura sura is is new he's filling in since salach uh fle- well kind of flee the nest yeah um but i mean to get a third to be on that bike and then the fact that looking at the uh, list here the fact that he's number 16 and got 16 points made my ocd all sorts of happy <laughs> plus yeah, I, I, go on uh another thing uh for anyone who tuned into the uh southern e racing league races tuesday uh i was so i had to be basically due to my kids sports schedules i had to back out as a full-time rider they gave me the option to be a wild card so if people don't show up i feel i can fill in if you know my schedule allows basically, it basically the mckaylee pira with the uh the the yeah pretty much world yeah pretty much i'm the you know i'm a wild card for that uh league uh i did a moto three and a moto two race in moto three i was put on the snipers team so and i've finished fifth place so good result for a wild card mm-hmm so um, that's another reason why I'm taking Andrea Mina. Before we move on, I completely agree with um, people on Twitter that were saying it, and it needs addressing. Not that Donna will be listening, but it does need addressing until basically n- nothing's going to get done until something really bad happens. Dennis Onchu, I have been a fan of the guy for so, so long. But no matter how big of a fan I am of somebody, if you are concussed at any point during the weekend or before the weekend, and if it is going to affect your riding, you've not had the amount of time to recover in a stable manner for you to be more than capable of riding a, you know, whether it be a Moto3 bike, Moto2 bike, MotoGP bike, you should not be riding. Yet... He was concussed. He had no idea what the crash was going, like what was going on with the crash. Was concussed like, for about, I think they said, did they say like half an hour or something like that. Um, not concussed for half an hour, but like unconscious or whatever for like half an hour. Like he was just knocked out for ages, and um, basically checked him up in the morning and went, "Yeah, you look fine." It's like, well, yes, because he's no longer knocked out. But yeah, I, I think it's ridiculous. I really do. Like when when I found out he was riding, I thought nothing good of it. I just don't get why you would do that. I don't get why you would risk, especially considering what Moto3 have had this year with Depasquier mm-hmm. and the risks that these guys take. It only goes to show if someone crashes, how it can affect somebody else. And if you're going to increase the chance of risk when you shouldn't have to, then I'm sorry, that is insanely wrong on Dorna or whoever's shoulders that is in, in the governing body that approves that. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think he should be riding. 
I think it should have been for the safety of the rider to be withdrawn from the race and reassessed after the weekend and prior to Texas. And I just right. thought I'd put that in there because I think it's I just think it's stupid to have let him road. Yeah, I mean, looking at you know, especially you know when when it comes to concussions and some of the sports, you know, research that has come out between you know sports like American football, regular boxing. football, you know, boxing you know, and stuff like that that you get concussions yeah. from and whatnot. It's it's Mixed a very dangerous. Art. You can get concussion in anything. Like you literally can. You can be mm-hmm. get concussion in tennis. You know what I mean? Like you could get hit in the temple or whatever, or like at the back of yep. the head with a tennis ball at full speed, and it could you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Concussion is something not to be just like blown over, and it'd be like, oh well, you look alright the next day, and just let them go. This shouldn't even have been an assessment. It should have been you have been concussed. No. And knocked out. You've been you're, unconscious you're for you're, quite you're some out. time. You are out. You are not racing. That should have been that. The fact that there was an assessment right. is, a, is ridiculous. And the fact that they passed him, knowing he was knocked out less than 24 hours before that, is absurd. It is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where he, as soon as he's unconscious, he needs to go to the hospital. Not basically like, oh, go for a lay down. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how you feel in an hour or so. That's what I mean. No, he should away. have been taken be... to the hospital. Yes. yes and not allowed percent. back for the whole weekend. It should be reported by a marshal that is, obviously, there should be somebody there that is a doctor if he has been knocked out, that should be reporting mm-hmm. it and basically medically briefing everybody within that paddock. Do not let this man ride, no matter what is said, as he has been unconscious and is concussed. End of story. We'll reassess you in a week. Have rest. Leave the bike alone. Whatever. Not. Yeah. You look all right. Go out and race. Like. I. I You'll look yeah. good. Give it a go. It's it's playing with fire already. Aspect mm-hmm. like I said, especially considering we've already had a fatality this year, and it, I just think of it this way. Think about it. If you were Jason's parents watching that, knowing you've gone through something as bad as they have, and you're seeing that same organization kind of blow over that sort of thing. Not that it's the same, you know, respect, but I'm talking about somebody that's had to go through that amount of suffering through this sport because we know how dangerous it is anyway. And you've got this organization here that are happy to make things even more dangerous. I I don't... Words fail me on what I would be saying or even thinking in their position. And I really, really hope that is the last time I ever have to watch a race knowing that there's a concussed rider in the race. I don't care if you're leading a championship. I don't care if you're racing for pride at the back of the grid. You shouldn't be racing if you've been concussed. You shouldn't be on a bike if you've been concussed, let alone racing one. Um, but anyway, let's move on to Moto Two. Um, I want to. I, I would assess Josh's Moto Two rider of the day, but we'll get to that when we get to the end of it. Matt, thoughts on? Um, I want to say thoughts on Moto Two, but at the same time, I kind of want to give a little bit of context to maybe people that I don't know if 
everybody watching this necessarily tunes in for all of the races. But, um, you know, we, we had a, a bit of a mixed bag to start with because it was another case, another case of, is Ralph Fernandez going to run away with it? He is, but you're thinking, you know, surely somebody else has got something for him. And Remy dropped back at one point, and I thought, wow, if this goes on like it is, we could see Remy fall all the way back a little bit like Austria, and the championship is then really getting juicy with it. But then Remy started fighting his way back through. What are your thoughts on Moto2? Matt Plants could take it away. You kind of knew you know, Raul was going to run away with it whenever he started pulling away, but then you're like, the thing I keep thinking of, and I cannot let this thought go when I think of Raul Fernandez, he's got a broken hand. Yeah, and not which, only did he not only yeah. did he win Aragon with that hand, now he's doing it again in Mazzano. And it's like it like I just kept having that thought of like, well, when does his hand start bothering him? When like this is two weeks in a row that he has basically pushed his hand to the limit. It's like when does it start to hurt? Yeah. I mean, if it was hurting at any point, you would have thought Aragon, but the guy just carried on churning out laps like there's yeah. nothing. Um, I mean, he yeah. dropped back. You know, the, it's low. Well, the lowest he dropped back was third. So, which is, which is insane in itself. Like the guy's, he has broken hand. <laughs> it's not like he's got yeah. a broken like you know toe or something like that. His hand is broken. I mean, I. Almost one of the bigger things you you look at is Sam Lowe's, you know, starting second, gets up to first, and then just sort of like, you know, was in first, then dropped on to second, then third, stayed there, and then dropped to fourth. So, you know, there was the whole tire talk this weekend about, you know, when tires dropping off and stuff like that. You know, so you feel like, you know, Lowe's just lost tires because he was a second and a half back Mm. at the end of the race. I mean, he was still close to that front group because uh, Bedzeki is in fifth with like almost five seconds back. He surprised me. I thought Bedzeki would be a lot more competitive. If anything, I thought Bedzeki would win this weekend going into the race weekend. Um, But obviously they didn't have um, free practice too, did they? Moto two, like they did, but it was was it rained, no, it off rained out completely. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really have that practice time to sort of maybe work towards a race setup or anything like that. I think Canet mentioned that in Park Fermi. Um but you're talking about tires dropping off. I think Remy found that out when he found out that his leathers were a little bit more brown after the last lap. Um going through <laughs> those sections of rights. You saw the rear end flick out. I was like, if this high sides, he is going to the moon. I was like, there's no MotoGP <laughs> yep. test for you in the week if that happens. Um, yeah, that is literally the case of championship, Remy, championship. Like, chill. Yeah. Just chill out. Yeah, he takes. He's pushing, and then, like, he gets that little twitch. He's like, whoa, I'll wait. I'll wait. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll accept second. Yep, yeah, cool. All right. There was no way, even if he got that stopped, and even if it didn't happen he would have had to have made a lunge. Can you imagine if he, can you imagine if he did a um, a Dominic Agata to Ralph Fernandez? Oh, that team would go <laughs> off. That team would go. Aki would be would... literally 
he'd be more pale than what he that, is now. You know what I mean? It'd be like a snowman. That team would go off. Faced. That team would go off. Tech three would go off. Red Bull KTM might go off. Yeah. Spit Byra might be down there. Like we can make Ugh. it up for next year, and Ralph Fernandez is like punching him with his non-broken hand, trying to kill Remy. Gardner. Yeah. But no, um, it was a great race. Like even though Moto Two, a lot of people see it as because they, it's not like anything to do with like dirty air, so to speak, or anything like that, like with F One or or whatnot. But in the sake of what I'm trying to speak about is you don't really see big groups attached to one another. You don't see five, six, seven riders all within a second. You see them like you know slightly split out. But having said that, it does make for very good one-to-one racing. So when you've got people like chasing mm-hmm. one another down, you know it's going to be one-on-one. And if one of them makes such a lunge, it then gets the other people involved. But it's not like Moto3 where you've got nine riders bombing it into one corner all wide. Do you know what I mean? Um, you've mm-hmm. got a bit more, I don't want to say mature racing, but it is as opposed to Moto3, which makes for great learning, if you like, when you go to GP. Because overtaking on them bikes is just a whole nother kettle of fish. But oh yeah, Aaron Canner is Josh's rider of the day. Of course it is. And the Josh, human notepad. Course... Yeah, the human notepad. If you listen to this, Josh, thanks for taking that one. Because again, you picked the most obvious one. And I won't give any spoilers out for GP. Exactly. But if you are listening to this, I can imagine a few people that are listening to this are just, you know, ticking back to MotoGP and going, oh yeah, who, who had a good... Oh, that's who Josh has picked. And yes, yes, that is who Josh has picked. But yes, I'll, I'll yes wait. it is. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait until we get there. Um, but you don't get any prize for guessing that one because it's that obvious. Of course, Josh has picked it. Um, so yeah, I picked Aaron Canet. I kind of want to pick Sam Lowe's, but at the same time, I feel like that's just an easy way of going. Britain, woo, UK, let's go. Sort of, you know, easy <laughs> get out. Uh, um, so I'll let you pick your rider of the day and then I'll pick mine. And I'm guessing, oh. I, I guess I'm, I'm going to go with there's no American rider getting the rider of the day because what happened oh, there? Oh, hell no. I don't want to talk about it. Joe Maybe Roberts finished 23rd. What? Joe Roberts 23rd? I don't want to talk about it. Jesus. Like, I, I don't know what happened to the kid. I, I don't know if he... You know... He he did so well last season, and then it just I don't know if it was switching teams because he was with the American Racing last season. I think um, it is. I think the case of the grass is not always greener on the other side. Like I think somebody said it in commentary on BT, and I was like, I think that is literally the case because you've got all English speaking mechanics and management at American Racing, American mm-hmm. team, so you're very much at home with that. And then you go to an Italian team that ever got an expectation of winning a championship. And everything's not kind of going through and, you know, you, you, you're trying to make ends meet and it's kind of a bit forced. And I get making that move because it looked like a better team. And let's be honest, on right. basic bike front, it is a better team. But the grass is not always greener on the other side, I think applies exactly to what Joe Roberts is going through at the minute. So I don't know. It is quite sad to see, Ooh. considering you would go back a year and you think, you know, Aprilia are sniffing around at him. Not, I know they were a bit desperate, and I'm not saying that in, right. in, you know, 
shaming on Joe, but they they were kind of going for anybody at that point. But he was very much kind of in that that role of, you know, you wouldn't put it past him going to GP. He's coming on in Moto Two, American rider. It's good for Dorna. It's good for everybody else. Might be going to GP. Turn it down. Wanted to prove himself in Moto Two, and now. He finds himself in a very difficult situation where next year he has got to hit the ground running from the get-go because if he doesn't, he's going to be struggling to get any form of result and might find himself going even further back than American racing because who's to say that they'll give him a ride straight away because of what they've well, got set up for the next few years. I was about to say, they've got Sean Dillon Kelly coming. I'm guessing Bobier's staying there. Yeah. yeah. So is. it's not like he can go back. Um, but for my rider of the day, and let me, it's going to sound weird. Let me explain. Somcat Chantry. Chantry? Why? Because if listeners, hold on, listeners, go to our Twitter page, Red Sector MotoGP. When he crashed out, it gave me one of the funniest moments of the whole weekend. Because when they he went down and as they pulled his bike off the track behind the boards, uh, there's a water a whole watermelon sitting on top of the tire barrier, and it it was as I'm watching it, I'm watching the screen and it like they like panned over to it. And I'm like, and then they like cut away and I'm looking I'm like, was that a watermelon? And I had to rewind it like three times because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so I took a screenshot and tweeted it out. And I'm like, this, why? Why? It's not cut up. It's completely whole. It's just sitting there. Why? What? Who? Who? I want to know who. I want to know Marsh. why. The Marshals wanna... have got to eat. They've got to eat. You know what I mean? Like They're not going to eat this race. <laughs> Are they using the chain drive from Chantry's bike to cut it open? What the hell? I think it's more a case of wait till the day is done and then crack open the watermelon, but they put it on show just for you. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to go with, you know, Chantra just for for giving me that moment where of just complete what am I seeing right now? What is happening? Um, I could be really boring and go with Ralph Hernandez and do a Josh, but um, you know what? I'm gonna give it to Tom Luty. I'm always a, I've always been a big fan of Tom Luty. I've got a bit of a soft spot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know he's already announced his retirement, eleventh place. Not bad considering the form that he's been on this year. And that bike is very hot and cold. Like <laughs> I remember oh, at the yeah. start of the year, Bo like Bo Ben Schneider was like, oh my god, this guy is actually starting to show the talent that he's got. And then it's like what's happened to Bo Ben Schneider? Like, has he, has he just, you know, sacked it off? Like he just, he just can't. He finished 25th this race. He finished dead last. Like, I I, I don't know. I think, I think Bo is very talented and whatnot. And I think Tom Lute has always been one of the best riders Moto2 has actually ever seen. But when you retire, you can very much go into that route of when you know you're retiring, who cares? Sort of, I don't really push Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So, yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it Tom Luty. Yeah, so uh, standards real quick. Uh, we got Remy Gardner on two seventy one and Raúl Fernandez on two thirty seven. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's still possible 
uh, Raul would have to keep winning. Remy would have to finish, you know, off the podium in consecutive races. So it's it's going to be up in the air about whether or not Remy is the champion, because I feel like this is the closest championship we have right now. Um, you know, if if anyone, uh, because Bedecki's completely out of the championship fight. Yeah. So it's it's got to be Raul or you know, Remy's pretty much got this. I you know, is there a chance? Yeah. Do I see it happening? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, what's the gap now? Forty? Is it forty? No. Two seventy one to two thirty seven. Thirty four. So... Thirty four yeah. points. That's doable. That is. That's more than doable. I mean, Remy. Like it would have to be where Remy like finishes way down like and Raul wins and Raul wins you know be, yeah. you know Remy basically has to finish around like 10th place area somewhere in there maybe up a couple or you know but it's Remy would have to basically fall off the face of the earth mm. but like but, I said uh, before when you get to this point in the championship it's very much a case of the people that are the not the most threatening, but the scariest people to be around are the ones that are fighting for a job. And when you get somebody mm -hmm. four hands to go, firing it up the inside of you because they are absolutely desperate, desperation kicks in for everybody else, and things get a little bit hectic. So, you've got, in a way, look at Fabio last year. Fabio was literally losing grip on Mia and then just went lunging for everything missing markers all the time like it, it wasn't the fabio we know and it just it got the better of him and there's people like that that maybe are looking for a ride and you know the manager might be saying if you for these last four races get a point scoring finish for every single race or maybe get a top 10 or whatever and you see remy gardner sitting in 10th place are you going to lunge on him of course you are you don't care if it's remy gardner you're going to lunge on whoever it is so that being said Raul gets his elbows out. No love lost because it's fighting for a championship. You only need one person to, you know, have a domino effect on. And let's say Remy crashes out of the next race in America and, Ra and Raul Fernandez wins. Yeah. The championship is then nine points. Nine points difference. So it's doable. It's very doable. Um, I think Remy mm -hmm. will still win it. Purely based on the fact that he has been very, very solid this year, as is Raul. But uh, I think Remy's just, I mean, 271 points is, that's unbelievable. That's the best over all three classes, no? It's got to be. What, for points? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm pulling it up right now. I'm just going to pull I think up. You said uh, earlier that it cost us like 210, and um, Fabio's the only one in the 200s, and obviously Pecco's within range. So I know that. So. Acosta's on 210. Fabio's on 234. Mm. Fernandez is on 237. And Gardner's on 271. Yeah. So Raul Fernandez, who's in second place in Moto2, has more points than either of the other two champion you know, contenders. Yeah. Which just goes to show how good that team's been, though, this year. Like, we joke about it, but the team itself has been so dominant. 
Well, and something we forgot to mention last week at Aragon, they wrapped up the team champion in Moto2. Like, yeah. Akiyo is champion of Moto2 again. Um, and obviously, Raul's rookie of the year. Not that that takes any. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. doesn't take anybody's eyes for surprise or anything. But uh, moving to MotoGP, this race had a good bit. Uh, I even took notes on this one. I was very like, I sat here in my bed watching it, you know, with my phone in my hand, take, you know, typing down notes. Um, there I had, and there was just so much going on, you know, to pay attention to. I mean, you know, starts off lap one, Peko gone, (laughs) just gone. He had a second gap by the end of the first lap. And there's the whole, you know, start thing. We'll get into that now. So when the lights went out, people were speculating, did Pecco jump? Because if you watch it in slow motion, he starts going about a hair of a second before everybody else. Yeah. And... Even the commentators were, you know, asking, was it a jump start? Um, and with how much, well, how much of a gap he had by the end of the first lap, you could say so. But going into turn one, he kind of got gobbled up and then had to, like, make it through, what, like, turn two and three and then was, you know, pulling yeah. away. Yeah, it did look like Fabio might be able to just snatch something off of him and then Miller came along mm-hmm. and kind of saved the day for Pecco in a way and yeah I, I've said it before we went into recording and I think a few people speculated about it I think there's an article written about it I couldn't tell you who by but I do actually think that Miller won the race for Pecco in just the way that oh, he yeah. held up not, not necessarily I don't know if it was purposely holding up but I mean, you imagine if Bastianini would have been further up the field and been able to get past Miller, he would have he would have challenged for the win, like hundred percent. He was mm-hmm. saying fastest lap, so he would have done. Um, and Fabio was obviously behind him for a while, and then eventually got past him. But Miller did a great job for Pecco because it was kind of you know too much, too late for Fabio to. He, he was close in the last couple of laps. But I think it was just, it wasn't like he had enough time to sort of analyze when to jump for Pecco. He would have known roughly when he wanted to, but it was very much a case of when you're behind someone like Pecco Bagnaia, you really need to know when you're diving in. You look at Mark at Aragon, he said, you know, I sat behind Pecco for all of that race and knew which, I knew what corners I was going to go for. It was a case of pulling it off where a lot of riders, right. you can say, I know what corners I want to overtake on, which I'm stronger on, so I'll go there. But with Pecco, you can be so strong through a certain corner, but you know for a fact the guy around Mizano is incredibly quick. There's not one corner he's mm-hmm. slow on. He knows every corner like the back of his hand, so you've got to know when to do it. And Fabio said himself, you know, yeah, it's Pecco, and yeah, I want to win, but at the same time, what's the next best thing? for the championship, you know, I have to think of the championship. I was not thinking of the championship all race until right at the very end. And it, it showed because he didn't, he didn't lunge on him, which I think, and I said it on Twitter, I think Fabio made the best decision, arguably of his season there, 
because a lot of people would lunge and sometimes it doesn't pay off and you get yourself into a whole nother ball game there. And getting second, I think it gives Peko that mentality of if I'm going to win, I need, you know, a miracle to happen, almost kind of making him lose hope with winning the championship because he makes makes Peko think if I win, Fabio will be close behind. Do you know what I mean? So I think he knows that how dangerous Fabio is on general pace. I think Pekka will do well around um, Austin. I know we're, we're going to get onto Austin in a minute um, mm-hmm. after the race. But um, yeah, Pekka was, I mean, b- b- besides the start and all that kind of speculation, he was just ticking away and ticking away. And I thought he was going to end up going up and up and up and up and up until Fabio and Bassinini got past and he kind of went, oh, okay, I don't have that stopper there anymore in Jack Miller. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, we, I, well, and I'm like not you... sure if I mentioned it on... Did I mention it on... Record? I can't remember if we were recording or not, but I did. I, I definitely... I'll repeat myself again in that I think Mir is out of it now. I think I think it is just too hard. Oh, yeah. He even admitted himself. He's like, my championship you know, contention is done. Yeah, he he has no chance of retaining his championship. Um, I will say one of the things everyone was talking about was the fact that I think this might have played an even bigger part in Peko's win than um, uh, and Jack Miller being involved was the tire situation mm. because Fabio went with yeah. well Peko went with the soft rear. But Fabio switched to the medium rear, yeah. which I feel it allowed uh, Peko to push in the beginning of the race, build that gap so that when the because they said that with like 10 laps to go, uh, the rear, the soft rear would fall off. So being on that soft rear allowed him to go, you know, to get build that gap up. So when it did fall off. Fabio being on that medium rear would be able to pick up some pace. And it was uh, lap 24 was when Fabio finally got to within a second. But at that point, you've got like three or four laps to go. So, at you know, at that point, it's a kind of a little too late. You know, as long as Peko can just keep it, you know, going... Fabio's not going to be able to catch him. And even on uh, like lap 27, Fabio started dropping back again. Yeah. And then... we also saw the rear tire on the, uh, the Pramax actually on like Zarco and, mm-hmm. uh, did we see it on Martin? No, cause Martin was, he pulled in. No, Martin crashed out. We saw it on Miller and Zarco as well as Pramax. Obviously we, we saw it on all the Ducatis that the rear tire and, uh, Bastianini was, it was gone. Wasn't it with five laps to go? Like the rear tire was just, basically not even there but as bt continued to reiterate bagnaya spent all of the winter going out on cold tires freezing cold temperatures for italy that is um mm-hmm. on his on his panagale around misano in the winter and just being first one out there last one last one in 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 horrible conditions and being able to know everything about that track the grip and where it stands and whatnot and that put him in good stead for when he was put in that position because he didn't crumble, he didn't make any mistake, and he kind of kept up a good enough pace for if Fabio did catch him, that he would have to again 
really think about where he was going to overtake him on. But that last lap was really, I think, did, did Peko have a really quick, I don't know about the last lap necessarily, because when you go over the line, you obviously, you know, slacken off a little bit. But in terms of like the first three sectors, the first two sectors for Pekka were definitely very good. Um, in that last lap, he really put his foot down in the last lap, which I didn't think he would have. I think it would. I thought it would be a case of fighting a, a losing cause, so to speak, with that tire already having gone. But he found grip that I didn't think he had. So I am able to pull this up uh, for those of you on the MotoGP website. It would, at the results, go to analyst. And it shows lap by lap. Uh, on the last lap, Peko set a 132.573, which he had basically, so he basically barely lost any time because he'd been in the 132s all race. Which is two tenths quicker, which might not seem a lot, but two tenths quicker than his previous three laps, which were the laps that Fabio were catching yeah. him on. So he basically went last lap, yeah, I'll put another two tenths under that and two tenths around Mizano is hard on a Ducati to find. It's not like the Yamaha where it's a smooth track with a smooth bike sort of thing. You know, you really got to find two tenths from God knows where with that bike. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just really impressed with Peck. He, he just looked so good. He really did. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Even on lap in my notes on lap twenty-seven, I wrote Fabio drops back. So. That was when Peko just started, you know, giving it its all. Um, but it, it was like the Ducati bosses said, you know, once Peko gets that first win, he's basically going to unlock himself. And it showed. Now, mind you, I don't know if that, like, this win here comes from him winning at Aragon or the fact that he knows this track like the back of his hand. Yeah, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be both. It could be a combination of he just finally got his first win on top of, you know, finally, you know, going to a track that he knows so well. Yeah, I think when you add it all up, he's just won his first ever race battling one of the greatest motorcycle riders in the world. Yes, and not as good one, but it's still, you've beat Mark Marquez to, you know, your first ever win. You've not had it easy to win that race. And you come into the next race a week later, so you're full of confidence. You've got that monkey off your back, and it's the track that you know back to front, front to back, in all conditions, on all types of bikes, and it starts raining in the weekend. You're fine with that. Your competitors slacken off because they're, you know, the pressure and everything else, they're sort of taking it easy. You're happy to go at it. You're quick in dry. You're quick in wet. You go out on the first... um your first lap of the race, you've got an unbelievable start and you've got clear track in front of you. Ride how you want. Pekka Bagnaya, dream. I, I, you For him, he could have not have had a better two weeks. Like, if you're going to win any race for Pekko, I think I might have said it eight, like when we were talking about him, I think after Mugello, in that you want a good race before your home one to kind of give you that confidence of not being like, getting to your home race and being like, you must win this race. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, yeah, he, just the form that he's in is great. I think he'll do really well at Austin, like I say, because of confidence, mainly because of confidence. And Peko is a confident rider. We've seen it before in Moto2 when he won the World Championship. He won when he got his first win, which I think was at Qatar, and I'm 99.9% sure it was. It was like, cool, 
got your first win. You already know what the gist is. You're going to win this championship. And when he was on his day in Moto2, he was untouchable. Absolutely untouchable. Like Marini or Binder or anybody couldn't even lay a glove on him on his day when he was when he was at his best. And we saw it at Misano and at Aragon. If you tried to lay a glove on him, you weren't getting near him. And a mm-hmm. rider like that is dangerous because if he even if he doesn't win this world championship and goes into the end of the year winning races and challenging for podiums, the confidence he will have going into 2022 will be dangerous because Qatar, he will be full of energy to just hit the ground running. And if he gets a good result mm-hmm. at Qatar, I know we're talking months ahead, but it is it is literally the case of, I promise you now that if Peko goes in, into the end of the year with this form, he will 100%, unless Ducati produce an awful bike, go into Qatar next year as the championship favorite besides Fabio and, you know, Mark and Mir and all them, like depending on where everybody is. But testing mm-hmm. has a big say in it. But I'm telling you now, Peko is a confidence rider. He will go into the end of the year with good form, having already won his two races anyway, no matter what form he's on. And next year, I think we're going to see an upgraded version of of um, Peko, which is dangerous. I'm, as a, as a Yamaha fan, I am pretty scared of an upgraded Peko Bagnaya. Yeah, um, We've not I think the Bastianini next either. I was just about to say, I think the next person we need to mention is Anea Bastianini, who is Josh's rider of the day pick, of course. For, um, <laughs> but I mean, he most of my notes talk about Bastianini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got, yeah, did he get the fastest lap, lap at the end of the race? Was he quickest lap? He he set the lap record. Yeah, on a on like, a old, on an old Ducati. Yeah, a two, what a two year old Ducati. Yeah, basically. I, mean, um, <laughs> I said last week at Aragon, and I've said it for years. Like, I've been a massive fan of Anea, even when he was in Grassini Moto Three team, and he won at Mategi in twenty fifteen. I think it was. I was his, tweeting about his him. teammate. His teammate finished nineteenth. Yeah. And he's third. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was saying last week at Aragon, um, after FP3, I said, I think it's time we start putting some respect on a Nea Bastianini's name. He finished about, mm-hmm. I think it was, I can't remember how far off of Fabio it was, but it was close. And um, yeah, I continue to plug on about him. And Mizano is just, I, I don't, I get the excuse that some people might like to give of, well, Pekka won. Well, of course he did. It's Mazzano. It's like, yes, but you still have to go and produce it. You look at Pekka at home races before this. Mazzano last year, leading, crashed out. Mugello this year, leading, crashed out. Like, crashed out at Mugello the year before last. Like, the guy before now at home has not produced. So people saying, oh, it's his home race, Bastianini, like, you know, of course he's going to be quick round there. It's like, well, if that was the case, then why did Fabio not win at Le Mans? And why did Sam Lowe's not win at Silverstone? And why did, you know, all these other... Like, I just think it's a it's a bad excuse. Take nothing away from the guy. Unreal ride. And mm-hmm. I would happily go with, let's all mutually go for an Aeo Bastianini. But there are many good <laughs> rides 
many good rides besides that we kind of used oh, yeah. that token up at silverstone with a leash because that was just you know insane but it, it, an abasini unreal ride honestly josh you, you've picked the right guy but just the wrong guy yeah. for me and matt yeah um, looking at the uh fast lap sequence Bastianini set a 132.242 to beat the lap record. He, and he did this. So the, yeah, the fastest laps were all Ducati's. It was uh, Benyaya on lap two, Benyaya on lap three, Miller on lap five, and then lap 16. So not only did he do this with worn tires. On an old Ducati. On a two-year-old Ducati, he set a 132.314, then immediately bested it with the 132.242. That's insane. Like, to to do to set the fastest lap that late in a race on a two-year-old Ducati with a worn-out tire, then to do it again and better. <laughs> As a rookie. Uh, yeah. Let's not forget the guy's on an old bike as a rookie. He beat Mark Marquez by six, oh, almost six seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean, people could say, well, Mark struggled with the shoulder or whatever. So what? Like, at the end of the day, the guy's got on the podium. The guy's got on the podium with the old bike as a rookie. And yeah, mm-hmm. just, I don't care what anyone says. Unreal ride. Um, in terms of rider of the day, oh, actually, before we do, um, because Josh is not here today, we will. Oh kind yeah, of, we gotta we, mention. We, we we have to mention Josh's very good friend within the GP paddock. You know they 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 are in yeah. contact regularly, talking crashes. Really, that's about it. Um, Alex Rins crashed out again, and that's At the end 17. of that segment. Yep, that we'll leave that there. Yes. I think it's best. I think I have... when Josh is next on, we ask for his opinion and we let Josh fill that gap. I think we're kind of, you know, we don't want to crush, we don't want to step, step on Josh's toes. Do you know what I mean? That's Josh's child there. In my notes, I put lap 18, Rins goes down, crying, laughing emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tweeted like seeing Rins go down and knowing full well what Josh is thinking. I was like, yeah. Straight away, if anything <sighs> happens to Rins, I'm just like, yeah, Josh wouldn't be happy with that. Like, straight away, I'm like, Josh would be <laughs> so disappointed in him. But again, it's like you're in a good position. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? All the time. You just, oh, I'm a, I'm a broken record with Rins, as we all are. Um, but yeah, my rider of the day, I don't know. I'm really tempted to go with Paul. I think Paul had a good Ooh. result in seventh, um, which people might think, well, yeah, he's on a factory Honda. Honda have not been great this year, and I take pride in saying that, but at the same time, he is, you know, new to the Honda in, you know, he, he, he's still new to it this year. And he's kind of bridging that, I wouldn't say bridging the gap to Marquez, but to finish three seconds behind Marquez, um, I think it's a good result for Paul. And, Considering he's not really been standing out really this weekend, I think seventh is a pretty decent result and kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Um, so yeah, that probably would be my pick of the day. 
but I'll I'll just go with that before I change my mind. Who are you picking, Matt? Oh, oh God, this is hard because I yeah, like I can't go for any at any of the KTM boys. Bender finished ninth. Uh, card. Yeah, I'm looking at that one. It's, your, fe- your fellow wildcard. You are Michele Piro. You should be <laughs> yes. <picking> the <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna. Ha- yeah, I'm gonna go with Piro because he did finish 11th. He got five points. He's he has eight points in the championship. Mm. He is. Oh, I mean. When you look at some of the other names beneath them, Danny Petrosa, Lorenzo Salvadori, Tito Rabat. Yeah, but at the end of the day, sometimes when you get brought in as a wild card, you can just see it as, you know, just data, 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 I mean, data, look, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, look at how Pedroza took it. I mean, Stefan Brado was in this race, too. Um, he finished 14th. No, I'm gonna, my, my rider of the day are the wild cards. Just as a collective. Fair enough. So, yeah, that'll do it for MotoGP. Uh, next, fantasy. yeah, we got fantasy uh, pulling up the league right now. I don't, I don't I think, think there I, was much um, movement. No, there was. I think I took my place back from Takawaka Nakagami. I believe I could be wrong, but I'm guessing just yep. because yeah, I, she I did. Yeah, I doubled Fabio, so obviously Fabio Pecco I got good points for. I I too doubled Fabio. <laughs> Used my last one on him, so uh standing still Ant Man motorcycles on first. Uh here's the thing though. Tiger Motorsports, Josh is only twenty nine points away from Ant Man. Oh. Like it's getting has... spicy. I think Josh has faith in Rins. I think he should swap him, put Rins in for the last four races the, to get him the 29 points. The but... only thing is, Ant-Man still has one boost. Mm. So, uh, third place, Matic Motorsports. Fourth place, Rins 10-10, myself. Uh, I'm only 40 points away from Matic, so I. it could happen. We'll see. Uh, Bono, you did take your place back in fifth from Takanaka Wakagami. Uh, Danico Motorsports in seventh. Uh, S07 in eighth. Buffalo Bills ninth. Pandora's Box in tenth. Triple Seven Six Fiver in eleventh. And Unflexible in twelfth. I genuinely think uh, my fantasy would be so much better if I didn't fall asleep on it in the middle of the season and have an injured rider in <laughs> as a gold rider. Like, oh, I just made such I, a mistake on it. But I like the MotoGP fantasy. I like I've I constantly check it because I'm constantly like, who can I move? Can I move anyone? And like, I can't. I have Mir, Quattararo, Ducati with Martin and Bender. It's a good team. Like the only person I would, the only person I would consider moving out would be Martin, but he's rated at two point one million. There's no one else I'm getting. At. I could get Bastianini if he could keep the pace. But at the same time, like you know, uh, if Martin's on the pace, he is on the pace. Like well, that's why you don't want. Well, to and they, they, yeah, and they even have him as a rider on fire. So. Hmm. But yeah, so 
just quickly That's... before we um we we completely wrap it up. Um, testing, not really. I, I, we kind of we were going to record this episode soon after the GP, but then because of a few things with like you know just trying to figure out when we were all free and kind of holding on to seeing if anything would happen with testing, almost like not wanting to curse ourselves in doing a episode and then everything hits the fan when it gets to the testing. We waited for that to happen and then nothing happened. So we kind of can't really win Ooh. other than the fact that Honda kind of produced a Ducati Yamaha bike that looks nothing like a Honda um, yep. and basically took the bits off the shelf from that side of things. And Ralph Hernandez and Remy Gardner had their first taste of uh, MotoGP. Again, we'll mention Ralph Hernandez still has a broken hand and yet set a quicker pace than Dovi, Binder and a load of others did an FP1 on Friday at Mizano, which is, if you want my opinion, scary. <laughs> I am worried. Yeah. I am panicking. I am panicking a hell of a lot, knowing that that guy probably will be a factory rider in about a year or two's time. I will say uh, from testing, because I, I was following along on social media and stuff like that, uh, there were quite a few black bikes rolling around. Because um, like you said, you had the one with uh, Honda basically coming out with a never-before-seen bike. Like, it looked completely different. Uh, KTM had a newer bike out uh, with a bunch of aero packages on there. I think um, Suzuki were testing a new chassis, I believe, for next year. I think I don't know if it was mm-hmm. a fair... I think it was a chassis. Um, which, of course... Of course, Sylvain Gintoli had to go and test it. I mean, he's only just gone and won the Baldor and then gone. And, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sylvain, but more importantly, can you come like a day later and test a MotoGP bike all day and do, you know, like 200 kilometers distance? I, I really want Sylvain on this podcast. I've said it before. Like, I, I just, the guy <laughs> has, in terms of been there and done it, that guy is that all over. He's He has done it all. And such a grafter like the the hours he puts in in um racing testing all the rest of it it's just insane like he's a pundit he tests he races not just racing endurance racing which takes a hell of a lot of work Mm -hmm. um yeah honestly fair play to sylvan gintoli i would absolutely love him to be coming on this podcast maybe one day we can um so yeah, that that'd definitely be an amazing shout to have on for for this podcast. But still, a lot of teams were testing out different bits, different parts. I know Yamaha were testing a new sort of. I don't was it a new chassis? I can't quite remember. I think it was a new frame slash chassis slash fairing sort of thing. I don't think it was an engine. Um, I could be wrong though. But either way, a lot of teams were testing new bits and bobs, and Honda have mm-hmm. very much kind of gone. Whatever we were doing, scrap that and go whatever we Ducati and Yamaha are doing and put it in one bike. That is basically what they've done. Um, oh, and that, that was like the Aproya this season. They w- brought out the new Aproya and everyone was like, oh, so they basically just took a Ducati and mixed yeah. it with you know a couple other bikes and this is what we got. Yeah, I mean, the not the Honda, the KTM is very much a mold of Ducati and Honda. But that's mainly because they've got mm-hmm. a test rider there that is Honda through and through. Honda until... born and bred. Yeah. Yep. 
and they've got former Honda people within that, like Pit Byer and whatnot, that have that have been. Um, is it Pit Byer? Am I thinking of the wrong guy or Mike Leitner? Oh God, I'm having a moment. But yeah, they, they've the got a KTM lot of KTM boss. Yeah, Pit Byer. Yeah, Pit Byer. Yeah, I'm thinking like, is it him that's been a? I can't <coughs> put name to face. Um, I'm pretty sure if it is who I'm thinking of, Pit Byer, Honda. Has he been at Honda? I swear he's been at Honda before. Or am I thinking of... No, I'm not thinking of Pit Byer. I'm thinking of Mike Leitner. I'm sure I am. Um, two seconds. It, Mike Leitner. Yeah, Mike Leitner did go okay. to Honda. Pit Byer's... Sorry, completely... Yeah. Um, Mike Leitner, former Honda man. So they, they, they do have a bit of a Honda influence within that camp, uh, which you would suggest makes sense for them going for a Honda kind of bike. But at the same time, it's still a bit different with the KTM because the straight line speed of that bike is insane this year. I mean, Mugello, it hit the mm-hmm. all-time lap record joint with Ducati. So that just shows you how quick it is in a straight line. But... Having said that, a lot of positive comments from riders. I've not really heard too much negativity in terms of what the teams are producing for next year because obviously this year um, we have complete freedom in no engine freezers for next year. So obviously the development of engines going into 2022 is pretty much free free game in that respect and that you can produce what you like, engine, chassis, whatever, you know, bring out what you like. Whereas with this year, it was almost like this is why you have and people. People get a bit confused with why maybe the second Patronus bike or Enea Bastianini's bike are like why are they two year old bikes? Surely they're one year old. Effectively, they are one year old bikes, but the one year old mm-hmm. bikes because of COVID and the freezers are the same bike as the previous year to that. So they are two year right. old. Um, that's kind of why. So again, a lot of positive comments. Raul and Remy looking very quick. Raul especially looking very quick. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, are you going to push full, full, you know, full go when you're Raul and Remy? Maybe. I mean, if he even if he is or he isn't Raul Fernandez, it's still quite scary considering the fact he's that quick. But yeah, testing as a whole, not what? much, not much going on. But again, knowing our look, we will finish the podcast and then. Maybe Mark Marquez announces that he's going to NASCAR or something. I don't know. <laughs> Mark Marquez is going to go race endurance bikes. Speaking of which, did you watch any of the Bull Door? Bits and pieces when I could, but it was at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I was, I was the same way. Like World Superbikes and everything else around GP and everything else and work <laughs> and actually go to yeah. work. It was very much a a, a, a fixed schedule that weekend i was going into work like literally walking from my car to work with the world superbike race in my hand like <laughs> come on let's just walk a little bit slower and i saw top rack slowing down and i was like in the car park like trying not to scream on my way to work i was so upset <laughs> i was so upset when that happened and so i tried to watch as much of the ball door as i could it was it's uh, the nice thing for over here is being that it's in Europe. I get to see a lot of the overnight stuff. Yeah. Because when like midnight hits over here, it's 6 a.m. over there. So the sun's just coming up. I get to see all the overnight crazy stuff, which is when the rain came and oh man, did it change everything. 
I, because I, can you imagine being in that race, like absolutely throwing it down, pitch black, and you've got to like keep a set pace in that set? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. The pressure. But, uh, oh, and uh, like just, you know, looking at games like Ride 4 that has endurance stuff, like it is so hard. You know, if if you crash out, it is so hard to catch back up. You know, it's 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 a whole different animal, endurance racing. But uh, yeah, so I think that does it for this episode. Uh, like we said before, please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, I um, I've actually just as of two days ago just got into MotoGP on my career. I've done two seasons. Like, literally, most years, by this time, I've done five seasons in MotoGP and, mm-hmm. like, one in three, one in two sort of thing. Like, I've done so much more, but I've been so busy that I've not been able to. But I did finish my Moto2 season off the other day when I... Two, two, two three days ago, whenever it was, to go into GP. And I came back to it after, what, maybe two months after not playing it. And I literally... I think, where was I? I think I was at Aragon. Yeah, I was at Aragon. And I went into the first corner, made the apex, kind of rolled the throttle a little bit into the left-hander. And then as soon as that quick right-hander comes up, where you've got to, got to build your speed up for the following right, <laughs> I was literally just like, bit of throttle, whoa! And just the rear end just went, boom, flicked me yep. right off. I was like, Jesus, this is so sensitive, but... I don't know. I That's what... I kind of like this year, but it's really, it's got so many little small issues. That game, like, do you know what I mean? It's not anything significant. It's sort it... of, it's just got so many small little parts that need fixing. It's taken a lot of getting used to because, like, you know, whenever the game first came out and we reviewed it, we basically, you know, shit on the whole game, <laughs> and they added some stuff like. There's a controller configuration in the settings now. Yeah, so you can it's... go in and change like dead zones and latencies and saturations. And that has helped a lot. Um, one of the big things was I forget what I turned down in my front brakes, but basically the bike doesn't break at 100% anymore. It breaks at like 85%. So when I squeeze the trigger, it actually stops earlier than it should. And I don't use the full braking, so I'm not doing stoppies as much. Yeah, that's the thing I was about to say, is that if you're new to those games, you'll hate it. I'm sorry, like, you will... Unless you're a oh, dedicated yeah. GP fan, you will not like it, because the actual playability it of is... it, you have got to be such a dedicated person to play it, to actually go mm-hmm. on to continue playing it, because it's just so hard for the normal person. And I'm, I'm not the normal person of, like, pick it up, see how I get on, and maybe I'll play it. I will play those games like as much as I physically and possibly can. But having said that, this year's game and like the last couple of years' games, and since 2017 game came out, every year has been so heavy on the rear brake, it's so mm-hmm. unrealistic. Like when you're going into a corner and you're dropping down from 200 mile an hour, you are not more so than the front brake sitting on the rear brake. It's very much a hit the rear brake. And I know this actually from watching um, Sylvan Gintoli's YouTube channel, which everyone should go check out because it's one of the best YouTube channels out there. But he stated 
that it's very much a case of you hit the rear brake and you let the rear kind of take control of it. Then you focus on the front brake as a combination of that, but then you're easing the front brake in so that once that rear brake's slid out the rear tire, you use that to guide the bike through. This is not on the game. This is real life in a way of you're not going, you know, rear brake and front brake at the same time or more rear brake. It's very much a hit it as you hit the braking point or like when you're slightly, you know, a little bit further down than the the actual braking point itself. But it's more of a, mm-hmm. a guide as opposed to brake, if that makes sense. It's, it's more for the bike's agility oh, yeah. and the bike's positioning more than it is get the bike stopped. Whereas in the game, oh my God, you're literally hold rear brake, hold rear brake, mid corner, front, a little bit, little bit front, little bit front and throttle like it's so bad like with that i think anyway yeah it's the moto gp games and i'm uh, because there's another game that came out called rims that just came out and so there's been a lot of talk about like moto gp versus rims versus ride four if you're the casual fan you just want to hop on a bike cruise around get ride four yeah. They basically give you if you especially if you get the game pass for it, they get, I have 111 bikes. I think I've bought like 12 of them. Yeah, not because they it's just, just the kind of thing you can just go, "Oh, I know what that bike. I've seen probably seen one of them on the street and you get to ride those kind of bikes around circuits mm-hmm. that you might not know and it's just you can have a bit of a fun like a fun time on it and it not be too serious. But you can also be serious on it, but it is good for the casual player. Oh yeah. But GP, but it, I, it, oh my god! Like the amount of people that see me playing it and go, "I've never, I, I've, I've seen the games, but I've never played it." I'll pass them the controller on a GP bike, and I'm like, "All right, here you go," and they'll be like, "I don't understand where you'd even start with that." And I'm like, "This is my point. Like, if you're not into it, you've got no chance in wanting to play it. It's so hard for the normal player. So oh, yeah. hard." And then, like this, get the new one, uh, you know whenever I joined the uh, SERL, they, I was saying like, I'm having trouble. I'm not understanding like breaking. They like code or uh, milestone completely changed everything. They're like, whatever you knew from 20, forget it. Start over. You basically have to start over with this game. You are not going to, if you try to keep playing like it's 20, you're never going to succeed. Yeah, because when I played 20, Moto2 was actually, which it isn't normally, Moto2 was my best category in terms of the difficulty level I could play at against the AI and the just regular consistency like I could set with times. I was better with Moto2. And then I went into this year's game and I'm like, it's the worst class. Like it's oh, not yeah. because, oh, it's hard with the throttle or whatever, but the bikes are so inconsistent. Like you can do the same thing every lap and you'll get a different result in what the bike does. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating as hell. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully we have a better game next year, but I'm sick of saying it yeah. and paying 50 quid every year. Woo. <laughs> yeah. So, but then again, whenever the new game comes out, we'll still buy it anyways. And, then bitch maybe. about it again. <laughs> maybe we get like the milestone head um, game developer or whatever on the podcast and ask him like, you know, mm. what's going to be new in this year's game and all this sort of stuff and see what he's got to say. Maybe I don't know if that's a possibility, but if it if it was, 
that would actually be great to hear to kind of really mm-hmm. get to know what they've changed rather than every year being like oh we've got a new braking system or a new tire system like yeah but what have you actually changed in the game like, right. what, what's what's actually what have you made better yeah what have you made better other than the graphics yeah that's the thing now like games racing games just go oh better graphics better graphics which is good but the normal mm-hmm. racers like yeah but what are you improving racing wise and it's not really going anywhere which is why i cannot wait for gran turismo 7 to come out oh my lord <laughs> i cannot wait for that game i can't, honestly anyone listening to this anyone at all if you are on playstation feel free to message me i will give you my psn or whatever and i will be on that from the day that comes out because that is something i have been waiting so long for i honestly i'm so because that's the kind of game i know that will be improved when it comes out as opposed to other (laughs) racing games of your choice that you can buy from your local retailers that i will not mention MotoGP. carry on (laughs) yeah yeah i think the next game for xbox is well the next big racing game is uh forza horizon 5 so but i i'm not a big fan of the horizon series i don't like open world racing so, yeah, I'll stick to MotoGP and uh, Dirt Rally 2.0. <laughs> so, I think that does it for today. So, with that, keep the throttle pinned. <laughs>